0: Hello and welcome to The Unique CPA with your host, Randy Crabtree. We're committed to creating a thriving community of accounting professionals who are physically and mentally healthy, fulfilled, and energized by their work. Our ultimate goal is to elevate the reputation of the accounting profession and vastly improve the lives of those in it. The Unique CPA
1: is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals.
0: Today, our guest is Kenji Kuramoto. Kenji is CEO of Acuity, which Acuity, you'll find out as we discuss today, but it's a very large, uh, well, I'll let him explain what it is, but really large firm that gets lots of accolades. And I'm very excited to have Kenji on the show today. So Kenji, welcome to the Unique CPA.
1: Randy, I am really happy to be here on the Unique CPA. It's great to be on. I've enjoyed listening to a lot of the other you've had. So yeah, super fun to be here. You've been on our podcast, so I feel like this is only fair <laughs> that I get to be on yours. Thank you.
0: Yeah, no. Well, yours is, I I love your ideas. Uh, Drink while you think, your podcast. And uh, I had an awesome time on that. And and, and it was nice to see uh, Matthew got a little inebriated, it seemed like, when we were uh, <laughs> I think so. I think so. <laughs> he was he was drinking, uh, what did we determine, about 11 or 12 percent, 16 ounce uh, uh, pastry stout. Some of those
1: high ABV pastry down. Yeah, so got them, got
0: them going. Yeah, and well, well, <laughs> well, I had a lot of fun. So thank you for having me on that. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, Thanks for
1: having me here.
0: Yep. All right. So let's talk in general. I I find your story really interesting. I mean, uh, Acuity, I honestly hadn't heard about much until recently, and then when I looked at the background and everything, I go holy cow, this is one of the larger firms in the country that I should know about and I don't. And, and I'm not saying, I'm sure everybody else does. I was probably the, the one person that doesn't. But before we get into that, you know, give me a little bit of acuity, I guess like the origin story. How did Because you've technically started, I think, in 2004 and gone That's through right. some uh, variations, right? So yeah, if you can, why don't you spend a little time, give us a background of where this came from.
1: Yeah. So certainly I don't even know if I'd call it successful and definitely not overnight success going back all the way to 2004. But yeah, when we started Acuity, really it was kind of, I looked at it like it was the third real job I'd ever had. Like, right. I had all the the kid jobs, the summertime stuff or whatever. Right. Right. But um, I started my career at Arthur Anderson in the audit practice and did that for a few years, left during the initial tech boom and became the controller and cfo of a tech company when you know everybody thought they were going public i was there to do that mm-hmm. stayed there for a number of years and then honestly through those two experiences of being at big global public arthur anderson then being at a very entrepreneurial tech firm kind of an internal finance and accounting that's really where acuity came together is where i'm not very creative But I'm not bad at looking at things I've either done before or I I can see. And like, let me pick apart the things I like and the things I don't like and kind of mash it together. And so I literally, with another friend of mine at the time, thought, well, what did I like about public? And there was a list of a few things. There's a list of a number of things I didn't like. Mm -hmm. That's important too. Yeah. What did I like about being part of a high growth, innovative startup? There are some great things there's some pretty crappy things, right? There's some things that aren't very enjoyable. And so I kind of just took those things, crammed them together. And what we got out of that, Randy, was uh, back in 04, a fractional CFO advisory firm just focused on kind of Atlanta-based tech startups. Okay. And I I think I thought from in 04, that's all we were ever going to be, just a very specialized niche firm just providing advisory services for startups. And you know, to fast forward all the way through the rest of acuity, we ended up adding controller services, bookkeeping services, tax services, a whole bunch of things I never imagined. And in fact, a few of those practices where I would have told you I never want to have. Uh-huh. But they all evolved throughout throughout time and they kind of came on board and and now, yeah, we're about an a 100, 150 person firm. We are still headquartered in Atlanta. We've been remote, though, for, gosh, close to a decade or hybrid remote, as I call it. We have team members throughout the country, uh, even internationally. Uh, We have clients throughout the U.S. So it is certainly not what I envisioned when we started Acuity. It has not been constructed at all like a probably traditional accounting firm has been. Um, But it's also in a spot to where it's a place that Matthew and I, my co-founder who was on here on your podcast earlier, yep, are in a spot that he and I really enjoy the way we've kind of constructed it. But it's certainly been built up throughout the years in a bit of a different manner that I would say is highly non-traditional. And so um, everything from the types of clients we serve to how we're kind of built, where we've taken motivation from to try different things within the firm. So, uh, So yeah, that's kind of, that's maybe one of the reasons uh, you haven't heard of us is the set. And again, there's lots of reasons. There's so many great firms out there, but also, you know, in certain ways, we probably look more like a consulting firm. Technically, we're not a true accounting firm anymore, since we right. said no attest services, but we are certainly consider ourselves part of the profession yep, for sure. So yeah, that's kind of, that's, that's how we kind of got here. Okay. Um, we're done, what we're up to.
0: Let me ask you this then, because you're not a a, a traditional firm. You say you are not, you don't call yourself a CPA firm, right? Correct. Or do you? Okay, so you're not a CPA firm. And for some odd reason, you let your uh, CPA license go inactive, right?
1: I did. I did. (laughs) I absolutely did.
0: All right. But you don't do any of your test work. I mean, you don't need it, right?
1: And we that- don't. You know that that was hard to do. I think it's yep. hard for any of us who go get the CPA exam. Matthew has not given his up yet, right? Yep. Uh, now he actually was a former audit partner at a top twenty-five firm. I never, I never lasted long enough to make it to partner. I mean. Mm-mm. No way! I was going to make that, and so maybe I—I I, I don't have as much of a um, a hold on that as he as he did. Also, I mean, I just got uh, candidly, Randy, I got tired of, you know, on the last day of the year here in Georgia, where a calendar year reporting for the CPA. Like, I would spend New Year's Eve just cramming, trying yeah, to get CPE done, thinking. What am I doing? Like this is crazy, and so I also was very sensitive to. I didn't want to be out of compliance. I really, I didn't want to be. I didn't want to, you know, not hold my requirements up. So I said, you know, I need to take a look at whether it's really worth it for me or not. Right. And in that regard, I also looked at saying we're not going to ever have a test or assurance services. I've done that before, and in fact, there's probably an aspect of it that was a little bit freeing for me. Hmm. Passed the, you know, have been a CPA, an active CPA before. Passed the exam. But that's not the motivation I typically use, or the 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 inspiration I draw from typically in the CPA industry to think about how we're growing the firm. So, kind of a good way to maybe delicately burn the bridge behind me. If you want. <laughs> All right,
0: that's a, yeah. It's I can see you're rationalizing it, and that's completely fine. That's true. That's
1: true. I'm <laughs> probably doing more of that than oh, I miss it.
0: So. All right, no. I mean, I honestly, I mean, I, I sold my practice 16 years ago. And I keep up my license still. And do I need it? I don't, we don't, I mean, we're a specialty tax consulting firm. I don't do any of test work. I don't, do I need it? I don't know. It's just, I have a hard time giving it up. And I'm at so many conferences and so are you. Yeah. It should be pretty easy to get CPE. My problem is I don't always apply for it when I'm at conferences. So I
1: don't apply for (laughs) it sometimes. I mean, I was just speaking last week, uh, last two weeks on on different, two different uh, accounting conferences. And you know, honestly sometimes too i i typically find my way to a corner of the convention center or maybe to a to a bar stool somewhere and find a few other people I'm really interested in talking to who are firm owners and i i feel like if I could get cpe there sitting up at the bar yeah and maybe the earmark folks can figure out the next generation how to do that <laughs>
0: i was just gonna say that
1: <laughs> yeah then, then maybe you know I'd gonna go active again but i also find that a lot of the conferences too there's there's just sessions that i just honestly don't feel like sitting in anymore because they're not relevant to where we're at or where we're trying to go right. and that's okay nope. that just maybe just me there are some firms that are maybe not quite in a different place in their journey but
0: okay all right, so let's go Let's go back to the, uh, acu- although I'll talk CPA all, the th- all day if we want, but no, let's go back to the acuity story, because uh, you mentioned, you know, Matthew came in, and I think that was 2013, and mm-hmm. and before we went live here recording, you mentioned that, and you kind of alluded to it while we're talking here, you've really built the firm in some really unique, sticking with the unique CPA theme, some unique and weird ways, so you want to mm-hmm. go into what those are and give us a little background on that?
1: Sure. So, one of the things, going all the way back to things I actually liked about public and and again, I was in the audit practice, and audit as a service, I just found miserable. It just was yeah. really you know it was very eye opening to me as a young professional, yeah I just I couldn't believe how I won't say disliked we were by clients, but like you just you felt like such a nuisance and there's an understanding the value of course, of an audit, but like it was not my cup of tea. One thing I really loved about being an audit was I loved going out and learning about new businesses. I found out very early on, I've always had an entrepreneurial bend that, like, audit or just being in a consultative fashion, when you're on site working with clients, you get to know these businesses. Like, they're really interesting. I was always fascinated by how businesses worked, how people built them. I'm to this day amazed by the businesses I see that we get to work with, and you go, oh my gosh, I didn't know that you could make money doing that. I mean, I must have said that. I feel like I say that every single week because I'm blown away by what I see people doing and building. And so when I think about the ways that we've constructed Acuity, I, I, I do feel very fortunate that I was at a great firm like Arthur Anderson. It was just a top-notch firm full of outstanding professionals. So I learned a lot about what a truly global, incredible firm looks like. But I kept looking around going, there's so much inspiration to be drawn from clients. In fact, they're giving us complete access to their whole business. And so because we started working in the startup space with technology companies, that was my dominant influence from early on of, like, of how people were building their businesses. We were looking at all these tech companies. And so I was very influenced by the business practices we saw of early stage innovative startups. Um, more so after a while than I was from the accounting profession. And so we started picking things that we saw working in the startup tech community. We started adding them in at Acuity. And everyone in the accounting profession would go, how did you think of that? That's just amazing. You guys are so creative. And really, all we were doing, Randy, was just drawing inspiration from our clients as a as a CAS practice like we were. It's It's almost even... It is more integrated than even I was as an auditor. You are really inside their organization on a regular basis. And so there's so much to draw upon from how their operations are constructed. So we started running all kinds of interesting experiments. Um, I mean, technology was a very early pillar for us. We saw all these tech companies who were creating these good-sized organizations by really leaning on modern technology, like cloud adoption was almost not even a thing for us back in the day because all of our clients were, have been cloud for twice as long, 10 years prior to the accounting industry. And so we saw that coming a long way forward because of our clients. So we were very, very quick to adopt technology to automate processes. From a customer acquisition standpoint, all of our metrics even today are built around from a sales and marketing perspective, are really structured like a tech startup does when they think about, customer acquisition. And so the fact that, gosh, even a decade ago, we built an outbound sales team. We had sales team members out outreaching. There was no model of like where we've got a business development person and each of the partners kind of do their own work on their own book of business. We were emulating and following a playbook. And it's actually called Predictable Revenue. Aaron Ross wrote the book years ago. He was the original head of sales at Salesforce.com.
0: Huh.
1: Every single tech company or VC back company was following Aaron Ross's book called Predictable Revenue. So we didn't go to, you know, I didn't go knock on the doors of EY or Deloitte or the top 100 firms and go, how are you guys selling? We went right and said, "Well, here's what our clients, they're all reading this book, they're all following this, so why don't we follow it too?" So those are some of the interesting ways throughout time that we have we've developed as a firm. There's a, still many ways that Matthew and I feel a bit more akin to Tech companies. Like we just have our roles. If you look at even our roles and titles and things throughout Acuity, they do follow a little bit more like as if we were a software company. We are not. Hmm. However, we just think there's a ton of innovation happening in startups. And we are just happy to go in there and grab the things that we think work, experiment with them. And if they don't work, we we try something else. So it's a it's a strange way that we've constructed this but it's also a little more obvious than people think if you look at the types of clients we were around all the time.
0: Makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's pretty cool. So a couple of things and and so I assume just looking at your website and 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 meeting you and Matthew over the last month or two, you know, technology was obviously a huge place for your client base, but for you as well, is there is there ways you go about selecting technology you're working with? Does each client have a different accounting system? Are you generalized accounting in, you know, like when I was growing, when I was, back in my day, um, you know, (laughs) we had creative solutions and we were doing all our rate up work on one software. I assume that's not the way it is today.
1: That is not the way it is today, at least for us at Acuity. Um, Yeah. Now we do have, we say tech stack partners. Now these are about 20 different tech stack partners that we probably most commonly use. And we do have in, in certain practices. So let's say for example, our bookkeeping practice, if you would like acuity to come in and be your outsourced bookkeeping solution, you are limited to certain choices for things, right? We're going to tell you it's either QuickBooks or zero. You got the GL has to be on one of those two things. Okay. Now the good news for us is that's, 99% of the market share, a small, small, you know, right. business accounting system. Anyway, and so we've got some parameters there. But also, what we're looking for typically in our tech stack partners is we want to make sure that we have the ability to cross train our staff across these technologies. We think that gives us a pretty good footprint and and some tools to draw upon to help construct the right type of accounting Because I think what's fascinating for older guys like me. Maybe not for you, Randy. You're a little younger than me, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think we got this backwards here.
1: <laughs> but, okay. But, uh, but um, I do remember those days of where, you know, the only companies I had heard of who had custom accounting software were like the Fortune 500s, maybe the Fortune right. 50s. I mean, back in the day. Right. It's just amazing that right now, any business you can think of can have a custom accounting solution. If they just go and say, oh, I'm going to take zero and I'm going to plug in these three tools, essentially everyone's got this so we saw that as there was going to be less of these like hey i'm on one platform or one stack again super similar to what we saw in the tech space industry Mm -hmm. of our, our clients And we just tried to think of well how do we how are we going to adapt to this and you know we found that we certainly need to be able to cross train team members across tech platforms but the more modern we were from a tech perspective our clients were happier i mean I can't tell you, Randy, throughout the years, how many times we'd come into a new client. And again, remembering that we focus on things like you know, tech companies, right. we'd come in and, and we'd say, we'd talk about our tech stack or what we're working with or how we work virtually. They were floored. They said, oh, it's about time I finally met an accountant who's not trying to stick me on some damn desktop software. Or he's not trying to like, and so as soon as they got even a little idea that we were slightly modernized using technology, I mean, Randy, it was almost like sales call over done. You guys are in, Wow. you got the same vibe we do. And it was just, we were closing like crazy. And so we have a natural curiosity about tech at Acuity. Matthew and I have always enjoyed it. We've worked in the tech space. We've seen how it benefits our clients. The biggest challenge with that we face is just making sure the team gets proper training. Um, because what the team does not want anymore, which used to happen a lot, is Matthew and Kenji coming back from a conference going, hey, everybody, we got a whole bunch of new tech to try out. And the team kind of goes, oh, oh man, are you kidding me? We just learned this. So we do now have a tech stack team that when we come back with these ideas, we have to actually take it to them first. They do some additional vetting, piloting of us, maybe some beta testing of it uh, before we start deploying this. Because at 150, it's way too disruptive for us yes. just to go in and add something. It was fun when we were 15 or 10. Yeah, you could come back from a conference and slap something in place and it wasn't a big deal. Now now there's some more change management that has to get put in place. So it's a fine line of where... We love tech. We want to keep using it. It's been really important for who we are, but we have to be really thoughtful about how we deploy it. Not so much for the clients. The clients are usually like, woohoo, finally, some new cool tools. It's the team. The team, we need to to make sure that we're not just, we don't have a thousand different tools. and We're asking them to kind of put these things together. So it's um, that's gotten more complicated as we've gotten a little larger.
0: Yeah, that's uh, we're in the middle of that, too. You know, we've grown pretty rapidly in the last few years and we're at 50 people now when we're all across the country, you know, similar you know, to you and just that whole getting the processes in place that everybody's on the same page. And, you know, what I do is I disrupt the marketing team because I come up with a new de- idea every week. And and then <laughs> I'm like, oh. I, I'm afraid that I call them and they're like, oh, Randy's got another idea. We had like you just said with you guys. And and, yeah, I can understand that. So I try to keep them fairly reasonable these days, but uh, yeah, I can't help myself. It's just, uh, it's just fun. I'm having the time of my life. So
1: it it is fun. I I think that's a huge, that's a huge part of, I know what Matthew and I found is, you know, there, there was probably historically more cookie cutter approach to building a firm. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty tried and true. I mean, it, it works, candidly. It works. Right. Accountants are good at creating right, a set of very concrete you know, frameworks, playbooks. That's just, boy. That's that's, they do. I mean,
0: <laughs> or we like do. us
1: and engineers, right? Yeah. We're just yep. good at that kind and of thing. And those time. are the and two so things I work
0: of, with is, uh, well, engineers, we <laughs> accountants, that's right. and lawyers. So I get, I get all they, sides. You get so. all of them. Yeah. That's
1: exactly right. I think that the, and there's not anything terribly wrong with that. I would say, though, that I think it's what we found, there's a lot of fun you can have when you start thinking about different methods of construction, yeah. different ways to build it outside the regular playbook. And I think that's, for Matthew and I, what's led to a lot of the happiness and joy of like, oh, that was fun. I we I make a ton of mistakes. That's fine. But like, we are able to construct this in a little bit of a different way that actually allowed us as firm owners to not just follow the scripts of, hey, it's time to add another partner and then you kind of go and here's the practice line. We were able to do it in a way that I think flexed our own creativity a bit because what we found that he and I really enjoy is we love building businesses. That is really fun for us. That's Mm -hmm. very enjoyable. Firms are great. We love the accounting profession, but like the act of building a business and doing it with a little creativity, not just the same old, hey, here's how a traditional CPA firm's got to work. And so I think more people... Could maybe explore that. I'm seeing more and more firms who do that, which is cool.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I'm uh, I have a webinar that I'm hosting in 56 minutes, which is obviously not (laughs) going to be the same time people listening here. Um, But it's uh, it's about uh, building a sustainable and transferable firm, and it's not a transferable M and A firm. It's a transferable. Hey, we've we built this that this continues without us as owners, and this continues. You know, the next generation of, of of people coming in to run it, but Something you just said, oh crap, I completely forgot what you just said. And that's what made me think of this.
1: <laughs> well, building it in different ways, I'll tell you, I had a, had a conversation last week with an accountant up out of Canada, a great one, Andrew Wall, who, um, Andrew's a great guy, he's got a great firm up in, in Canada. And we were at this conference last week and he said to me, we were walking, just he and, two and I talking, he said, man, you seem like this whole week you've been like pretty present engaged here at the conference. You don't seem like you're running back and forth doing a bunch of work or things like this. And I was like, well, yes, we, we are in San Diego. So first of all, like I want to enjoy as much time as right. I can in San Diego, one of the yeah. most beautiful places on earth. I said, but also we have worked very hard at building something that is sustainable. There you go. Is something to where we have really great team members that we can trust that we as shareholders, partners, owners can step out and not be still stuck in the day-to-day. That's, for me, something I recognized in my early years. I knew that very clearly, This is great, yep. Of where if I didn't figure out a way to stop doing all the work myself, I wasn't going to last. I just, it just, that's more of a Kenji thing than maybe most people, but I'm like, I can't keep slinging the hourly rates. I can't, you know, all the clients, of course, wanted to work with me, but I was exhausted by it. I just was exhausted by it. And I just, even though I was still relatively young, I just, I felt like if I didn't break free from that, I'd be trapped in it. And what we found is it's hard to get beyond where you're doing all the work yourself. And I think there's a couple of years I look back at that I don't want to repeat again because they were really tough and lean. But getting to the other side of it to where, just like Andrew mentioned last week in San Diego, like, wow, oh, you're really present here and you're you're having great conversations. You don't seem like you're super distracted trying to run the firm. That is a benefit of scaling and getting bigger and, uh-huh. and, and figuring out those pieces to where the owner, I mean, the owner is not so involved, which I think gets to the point around M&A is where inherently there's more enterprise value in an organization if the entity and the organization can continue to exist and move forward without the owners being so present. I mean, Matthew and I like to go travel, to warm sunny places and have beers occasionally. Everybody should have that ability, not just the owners. I think everybody at acuity should feel like they can step away at times for important things, you know, and not feel like the world's going to crash.
0: Well, we're hoping to get you and Matthew out to Chicago sometime at the end of the summer and and have a few beers and and actually, oh, we'll see, mild stopping uh,
1: grounds. <laughs> yeah,
0: hopefully we can uh, record a podcast at the same time, so we will see if that works out. I'm hoping it does. See uh, there you go.
1: See, I think that's the unique part about you know. The profession, um, I think about your podcast is finding ways to connect those things that we're all interested in. Of course, we're interested in the profession. Yep. We all, we've spent our lives in the profession, but also when you can connect the unique aspect, aspects of whether it's we're growing our businesses in different ways, right. we have a passion for, you know, homebrew or craft breweries, it's really, really fun to bring that together. I think that's one of the things that is very rich about the accounting profession is because it's so vast uh-huh. and there's this almost fundamental way that we've all been taught and educated in it and the way we all care about it. But also there's so much diversity we're seeing these days that yep. um, you think you think we're the only people who like craft beer and then we <laughs> run into you, Randy, and we had this amazing podcast who are like, I don't know if you saw the title of that podcast. I mean, or one of the things that we put out there. What was it? It just said like, is this the most perfect guest we've ever had on? <laughs> Drink while you think, right? Yeah, yeah. Because. Yeah. He just shared so many of the same passions we did, oh, yeah. which was just fantastic. Just fantastic.
0: And that's so cool about, and you had the podcast and this, I wouldn't have met you without this. And just sitting there drinking with you guys was so much fun. And they okay, so we're now we're going on tangents, which, which is great. I love all this. Yeah. What I do want to do, and we can go all day, but I can't because I have a webinar uh, in <laughs> 51 minutes. But, but I do want to go back to the, the, the way you built this because yeah. you touched on it and I wanted to get back to this, you know, the sales. Because mm-hmm. you mentioned it. CPA firms my voice is gonna get high now because I'm getting excited. You you mentioned it. I mean CPA firms partners are supposed to be out selling and I just don't I don't get that. With Trimerit, we started from day one, well, I'll say year one with hiring a salesperson. Mm-hmm. You know, as we grew, it was like, okay, we hired an engineer. Oh, wait, now we have to pay the engineer. We need more sales. Oh, yeah, let's hire a business development person. And so it sounds like you did that from the start. So give me a little background on your your sales team and how you built it and I guess what it looks like today.
1: Yeah, yeah. Again, I would tell folks, you can go back and look at uh, the old predictable revenue model that's out there all over. You can Google that. And we followed exactly that, which means what we did was we focused on outbound sales, so this is not relationship selling. Um, it is the dirty word for outbound sales. It's cold calling. Is You're literally yeah. cold calling. And so accountants hear that and go, no way in hell am I doing that. Nope, nope, nope. We're yep. a trusted. Pr- we're professional. We don't do that. My challenge to that is, yes, that's all true. But I think that the things we learned that were really valuable about doing outbound sales were, we first of all, we learned that outbound sales is incredibly analytical, right? We used to get people who say, oh, it'll be your business development rep because I have to get this great Rolodex. And I just know all these people. And, you know, it's hard to assess that. Like, how do I know whether this person's got all of it? Now, on an outbound sales side, you can say, well, we're going to put together a outbound program that you're going to reach out to 50 prospects a day. There's tools and technology that allow us to do that within industry segmentation, the types of clients we like, and they're reaching out with it. So we used to run, we call a cadence and the cadence would be 50 people per day per sales rep. And they would reach out and do something like we call it seven touches, a cadence. So maybe over a week, they would do a series of emails and phone calls to those 50. And what happens is when you look at that, it's, it's, it's not something that most people want to do. I'm not going to lie to you. Who wants, because get no, no, no all the time. But what you start creating is mathematically creating this funnel and you are literally pushing 50 in per day, right? Yep. One rep, 250 a week. And you start finding your conversion rates. Okay. What makes sense? If I tweak the, if I tweak the language a little bit, what starts converting? And you can really go at it very scientifically, uh, which I think is, Really interesting. So that's one aspect of it's way more mathematical than people realize, which I think should be comforting to most accountants. We like analytical things. I think the other thing is we also specifically went after non-accountants to sell this. Now, this was a theory we had. We wanted to test it of like, can we teach? These are usually young, just right out of college grads to sell accounting services. And what we found was not all of them, they're able to, but also... Accountants, we make a mistake a lot about like we start getting super technical right away, and, and prospects kind of go, Ugh, and they kind of over there, they just they kind of glaze over. Yep, what we were finding was actually non-accountants speaking to non-other non-accountants. They already kind of get a a bit of a, oh, you're speaking my same language. You're not trying to talk over me or make me, you know, I don't know what right. what the what the hell is EBITDA? I don't know what a balance sheet is versus p and L. They're not doing that right, and so it really forced us to look at the way that the services we provided and put them in plain English. If you're going to have a non-accountant speak to another non-accountant about accounting services, how do you get this stuff in plain English, right? out, Skip the jargon, all that crap, get it out. That I think tightened up our marketing message. It had an impact on our website. We started putting things in ways that were way friendlier than, um, most accounting firms, in fact, we got a lot of great feedback about as we'd refine this, they're like, you guys don't sell like an accounting firm at all. Like your prices are clear on the website and, you're, and all this gets honed when you're out there being forced to deal with people saying no, or you suck, or you're terrible, or I don't like this. At least you're getting feedback. Yes. And so I think getting a feedback loop going like that. And then the third thing is, I think that doing outbound sales like that, it just builds toughness and courage. You know what? Anybody you meet, like back in the day, you'd meet someone who was like a door-to-door salesperson back in the day. Mm -hmm. Those folks can go through walls. If they made it through that, I mean, they're used to it. And so you build a little bit of a muscle within your organization of like, we're not going to be afraid of no's, right? People are going to say, oh, stop spamming me or stop like, why are you calling? You're going to get that. And it's it's a good way to build a a little bit of a thicker, tougher layer there around your whole team and saying, sure, we'll deal with those if we can get one out of a hundred, every hundred of those, someone goes, ah, you're just the person I've been looking for. And so we learned that we've altered that approach over time, Randy, it's still a lot of it's that way, yep. but I think that's been really important for us. We got very, very close to the way that customers want to buy what they wanted to see on the website. And I think we built some good toughness amongst that team of where, Hey, no, no, is not a big deal to us. Doesn't hurt no. our feelings at all.
0: nope. Yeah, we we it's funny we're we're probably a little bit slow to get to there, the way you guys did from the start. But this is a big push of ours right now. Outbound sales is a big push. Our marketing team we have a very robust marketing team that has grown over the last six months, and they the things they're putting out is is generating revenue just from marketing, not even the not even outbound sales. And then we have a, uh, I guess you would call, I guess, traditional sales team. You know, we probably have eight or nine business development mm-hmm. reps that are out selling. I don't say selling, but generating, making relations, building relationships, and then Absolutely. and then bringing in business. So our outbound sales team, I call it inside sales, but the, our outbound sales team, which officially kicked off about two months ago, and we've been talking about it for a long time. The goal in the first year was, I think, a million dollars of sales from them. Mm-hmm. I think they hit it in a month. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, yes. it's, it's unbelievable, uh, the, how this has worked. And, and so, you know, it's the outbound sales team is just two individuals one manager and one, uh, one, you know, and, I guess, employee working for him. And that is rapidly going to expand because of the success that we are seeing already. And we're also using things like Pardot. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I think it's a Salesforce add-on. use on. Pardot.
1: Yep. You sure do, yep.
0: Yep. yep. And so we're using that that just is really kicking off now as well. So I, I completely agree with everything you say. Our sales, our, our new business is going through the roof right now. And it's because of these techniques that it sounds like you are a much smarter person than me and put these in place a lot quicker than we did. But uh, it, I can attest that it is perfect. Yes,
1: quicker, Randy is not smarter. We went in <laughs> pretty early, maybe a little too early in some cases. But I, I will say that um, I'm not. I can look at a few different times in the business, and that was one of them when I launched this whole sales initiative. Is I had to focus most of my energy on that and all these you young salespeople we had and how right. we're selling. It's hard for me to think of a time when I learned more about the business through those eyes, right? Otherwise, you sit there and you think about it as an accounting professional. You just talk to other accountants. You look at it from our own lens. And boy, building up a sales organization and having to go through that is such an opportunity to learn about what resonates to the small business owner, right? That's who our target client is. You learn so dang much about that. It's just, I. It's just invaluable. Yep. And yeah, you're gonna take some lumps. You're gonna get, you know, your feelings hurt. Oh yeah. You can't believe that you're an accounting professional and someone's mad at you because you know you're blowing up their inbox and asking if they want to count. You know, you're gonna get those. But I, I will say that our the value we have got out of from learning, and then once we started getting good about really tweaking messaging and getting those conversion rates mm-hmm. up, it gave us such confidence to move forward. Such yep. confidence as an organization because we said. Accountants always love to talk about, it. oh, our number one source of business is referrals. That's great. We get a lot of referrals too, but I don't ever want to be dependent on just referrals. Yes. I want. To, we want to go and create and find our own opportunities at the same time too. And so that is that was very important. Gave us a lot of confidence.
0: Yep. All right. I, that sales information, I think... And I'm not the expert. I think you could do just a, a webinar on that. I think educating the profession would be huge. Or maybe you know somebody. I want to get, I just started a monthly practice management webinar that we're hosting on our our website. Uh, and, you know, the Ux- nice. unique CPA slash Trimerit is hosting a monthly, and that's the first one today. I think that would be a huge topic to talk about, just a, a sales training type topic. Before we wrap up, a couple of the last things I want to ask. And one is, I know you have, you know, your pricing is not the normal hourly billing pricing. At least I don't think it is. So you want to give us a little recap of uh, how your pricing works?
1: Yeah. And so this is actually is perfect because it goes hand in hand with what we just talked about from a sales standpoint, Randy. We had surmised this, but we really felt it when we launched the sales team of if you're going to have a sales team who are non accountants selling, Boy, you better make things really clear and obvious to help them out. And that started with us with pricing. We had to kind of go in and, you know, and figure out a way that we could kind of work through pricing. And so, on our compliance services, which for us are tax and bookkeeping, all of that is done fixed price, and it's all on our website from day one. We've, we've never sold either of those services without there being clear fixed pricing on the website. I wish I would have kept for my own sake, just a history of all the different pricing changes we've made. There've been many of them, right? You kind of go and you show the three-tier pricing and you show all these different, we've done all of it. Again, once again, we were absolutely emulating the way that tech companies do pricing. We wanted to make this look like a subscription as much as possible because who are we selling to? Subscription-based SaaS technology Uh companies. So, right. We wanted to put it in a framework that they were used to. And so yeah, we made a ton of mistakes. We mispriced things, um, all those things, but it was so helpful for us to really kind of pick apart different solutions we were providing and kind of go, okay, well, how much time does this typically take us? I mean, that's where you start. Everyone goes, well, how do you do that? How do you do this? You just got to break down into kind of unit economic components, different services you're providing for a client, get some estimates, get some estimates, figure out the pricing and just Have a little bit of the audacity, a little of the courage to stick it out there and say, Well, I'm going to put up on the website this price for this service. And you know what? You're going to be wrong. You're going to screw it up. Right. But you go back and you change it. You go back and you change it. You put in your agreements that you can come every 90 days and change things. But you just start by doing that. And that's really all it really takes is to kind of get things going. And you'll be amazed. By, we were amazed by how quickly that helps convert on the sales side. It also really helped on some alignment with team members. Uh, we have a lot of team members at Acuity who are paid based on the book of business size. So, right, They can quickly go look at the website and go, well, this many clients usually roughly equals this. If they're using these different solutions from Acuity, they know they get a percentage of that revenue. It's a very easy way, I think, Um, To operate the business and i think it was so refreshing for clients to see this more and more accounting firms are doing it today and i really applaud them for it Uh um some of the advisory work is trickier i think than the compliance work right to fix price we're not a hundred percent there yet on our advisory side there's still a lot of hourly stuff there that we're kind of working through but we are trying to push more and more to that because you know fast forward to today I don't know that we'll ever get there, but I think that the inspiration I take about what our pricing should look like at some point is Acuity's pricing page. Our solutions should someday look like Amazon, right? And I say that because that's how we're all, we've all been conditioned to buy things. Uh I want to go and I want to go see the product. I want to know what the price is. I want to know what the return policy is on it very clearly I'd love to get some reviews on it.
0: I was going right? to ask. Okay. Um, yeah.
1: You know, I think if you think about it in that way, people go, oh, "You can't ever sell accounting services that way." Well, why not? Like, why? Why shouldn't we push ourselves? Because that's how every buyer in the world right now is conditioned to buy things, and the yep. the more divergent we are from that, I think there's risk to us being effective in selling. And so, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get there one day where we just look like the Amazon. Our pricing looks like the Amazon of you know, uh, offer accounting, but you can go look at our price today and we've got all of our pricing up there. We don't, we believe in being fully transparent. We have no problem if other firms look at what we're doing because the benefit of it is it stands out so much compared to competitors where clients see that and go, gosh, I'm, you're at least putting all the pricing up there right away. And so it'll help your sales team. It'll help you guys, us internally. It'll certainly help the prospective clients. And, You still have to go in and monkey around the pricing every so often. We just did a big pricing update and change and review, but um, it's a—I think it's a nice way to help really think very discreetly about the services you're offering and how valuable they are to you as a firm if you kind of productize them like that.
0: Yep. No, I I think that makes sense. It seems. I mean, you've been. Uh, at the beginning, again, you said weirdness in unique ways. I think you've just been ahead of everybody. I mean, honestly, that's <laughs> what it is. It's, uh, um, and that's why you've grown. I mean, you know, I'm assuming 2004 to 2013 was maybe slow growth, and 2013 on, it seems like it's been pretty significant. It, and uh, it's because just of the don't way tell gonna...
1: Matthew that. Don't tell Matthew I know.
0: that. Okay, yeah. I won't. And I don't. I just assume that. I have no idea if that's the truth or not. So. It
1: is very much the truth, and Matthew will not let me ever forget that. But I, I say, hey, that's why you. Now, I know good talent. I know what growth looks like when I see it, Matthew. So you, yep. you can be as happy as you want to be about the growth took off after you were there. Right. I'll just be happy that, you know, I brought you on as a partner.
0: Exactly. Perfect. So you really, you get the credit for bringing him on. I mean, that, there you go. Thank so, you, Randy. That's the key to this. All right. So I think, uh, I think we should probably wrap up before we do. And I like to ask everybody this at the end, great information you just gave us. I think people will learn a ton. I think it's awesome. I love this profession. And we can go out all day, but I also want to know what you like to do that's not this profession. What do you enjoy outside of work?
1: Well, uh, a couple of things. I'm a big outdoors person, love being outdoors. Um, So you can almost find anything out there, whether it's skiing, golfing, trail running, all kinds of that. I love being outside. The other thing I've enjoyed doing, and I've been slow this year on it, Randy, but I just finished a batch um i just uh finished a brewing a batch of beer i just kegged it a couple days ago my wife and i tried it last night needs a little bit more carving up all right so i've been home home brewing went from bottling to now kegging and so uh, i've got a saison that i just finished up here that's um is my wife's favorite but nice i might want some adjustments to it next time that's been something kind of fun that's uh i've been doing there but uh yeah those are those are where you can usually find me again i've got Two, two kiddos, two, one in college, one in high school. So don't spend as much time with them only because they don't want to spend time with me at that age. But um, <laughs> yeah, you certainly try to travel to them a bit. And I'm a, and I'm a big travel buff. I was, as hard as it is uh, planning things, I've been, um, I love getting out and about traveling. So yep. that's good for me. If I can get out and about travel, be outdoors, exercising and traveling and finding a good place for a beer, which there's so many good breweries. Kenji it is in his happy place, and I'll talk accounting all day long with you.
0: Nice. All right. So what I just found out about that is I just built a sixteen foot trellis in my backyard that I have hops growing on right now. Oh, I no grew way. them last year. I grew them last year and and brewed a beer with them. You know, did a a, a, a wet hop brew and. Fantastic. Uh, um, So this year I decided because I did a hodgepodge of trellises and they kept going up and up and up. This year I built this thing, which I have no idea how we got in place because 16 feet is pretty high. Yeah. Uh, It's an A-frame. But what we're going to do is when it's time to harvest, I'm getting immediately into a plane, going to Atlanta, giving you a batch of it, and you're going to brew a beer. And then I'm going to come back in a month or two and I'm going to taste the beer you brew at. Crack
1: some of that. That's fantastic. I would – do that in a heartbeat. That's a way, right. another one of my team members in the Q and He grows some hops too, so maybe we can do a little exchange here.
0: There you go. All right. All right. I don't brew enough. I'm going to have way more hops than I can use. So if someone can use them, I've been thinking, you know, I know a lot of breweries. I'm wondering, can they use my hops? I think they probably can. I don't think there's any regulations against where they get their hops from. They probably don't want them, but (laughs) but you never know. So, all right. Well, uh, last thing then, if anybody wants to find out more about Kenji or Acuity, uh, where would they find information?
1: All the socials are typically Kenji Kuramoto. I know that's not the easiest to spell, but I'm sure Randy will have links there. You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, all that good stuff. Or I'd really encourage you to come over and listen to the episode with Randy and Matthew and I on our weekly happy hour conversation called Drink While You Think. You can find it on all the podcast areas, or you can find it also on YouTube and, um, we are always every week talking about the really weird things. We talked about some of the weird things we're doing. Matthew and I are literally sharing every weird thing we do each week on that. So if you want to hear more and if you want to get some great recommendations on beers, especially look at the episode with Randy because those were just phenomenal. So.
0: All right. Well, that's great. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you being on, on the show and stick around for longer than we probably planned on. But thank you.
1: Glad to do it, Randy. Great to see you, my friend, and thanks for having me on.